the ideas, the leaders, the lives that are shaping Denmark and the world. From Blocks Hub in Copenhagen, Denmark, this is Global Denmark. Today on the Global Demo podcast, co-hosts Thomas Mullern and Brian Woodward interview senior researcher at the Danish Institute for International Studies, Ulrik Bramgell. In this fascinating conversation, we take a deep dive into the political and historical aspects of Greenland. We learn more about why countries like the United States are interested in Greenland, their relationship with Denmark, geopolitics, economic and political influence, the Monroe Doctrine, lessons to and from Greenland, and much more. Let's dive in. Our former president, Donald Trump, he wanted to buy Greenland, Mm -hmm. supposedly, and actually canceled his trip to Denmark because uh, I believe there was a little uh, tuffle there diplomatically. Mm -hmm. Why would uh, the United States president want to buy Greenland? I think there are there's one Trump related reason for that, and then there are two Greenland related reasons. The the Greenland related reasons is that uh, if you look on a map, particular if you look at a map which has a has a polar projection, meaning you you look at the map from from the top of the world, then uh, Greenland lies right between any missiles, nuclear mi- missiles coming in from from Russia and, uh, and China, for instance, and the U.S. So that's one reason. The second reason is that there we know a, quite a bit about Greenland's geology. There's a lot of resources there, but due to difficult logistical conditions, none of it is really dug out yet. And then there's, of course, the, the Donald Trump-related reason that he's a guy that thinks that you can buy everything. Like a couple hundred years ago, you could buy women and black people and, and pieces of land. And in a sense, he probably lives in a, an earlier century. <laughs> Probably true, but you know, in I, I can't even believe I'm saying this, but in, in, in Donald Trump's defense, right? Oh, God. The United States have purchased the Louisiana Purchase yeah. from France, yeah. and most of the land that the country's ever acquired hmm. has been through purchases, yeah. right? It's a much more um, clean way, I guess, of expanding your country. But, but, but most of it happened a couple of hundred centuries ago, right? True. And the thing is, in the meantime, the U.S. has actually basically gotten its way uh, in Greenland, in particular in, in military affairs. Uh, but I think when his uh, his uh, civil servants tried to explain the way it works, uh, so he just got tired at some point saying, all these constitutional complications between Greenland and Denmark, let's just buy the whole thing, then we can just do what, what we want. But the thing is, the US can actually do what they want in military terms already, so problem solved. So how do you... Um Greenland, can you say a little bit about what it is from a political and yeah. historical context, uh, this this nation? The, the this problem territory? is that it, it, it really depends on, on what perspective you look at it. It's a, okay. it's a, a huge territory with a very significant strategic uh, po- uh, position on the globe, but it's also a very, very tiny population. It's only 56,000 persons that are live dispersed around this great uh, great island and they have a very peculiar constitutional relation to Denmark where in principle Denmark is sovereign Greenland is a possession of Denmark but the way uh, the relation works 
there's really a lot of limitations to what Denmark can do with Greenland because it wouldn't be politically correct in 2022 to just overrule uh, a colonized uh, population like it was a couple of hundred years ago. Is it a commonwealth, or how, how how do we understand the relationship between Denmark and it's, Greenland? It's very difficult to translate it actually, because the the the, the label uh, in Danish, which is, tries to explain it, is an oxymoron. It's a rigsfællesskab. Literally, it, it means it's a community of the realm. And if you start from Danish constitutional law, it's a realm. It's a hierarchical thing. Greenland is under Denmark, but the way the politicians are talking about it. It has to sound like it's a community, right? That it's an equal uh, relation between different uh, parties that don't decide over each other but do stuff together, and and that really that is the political game that unfolds uh, every day on, on on every level almost uh, in, in the relation between Greenland and Denmark. So why not just give Greenland their independence? In a sense, Greenland uh, has been given their 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 independence in the sense that I think. Every constitutional scholar, every international law scholar accepts that if Greenland sent a letter tomorrow saying, bye-bye, we'll leave, then Greenland would be an independent country. Okay. Uh, so in that sense, Greenland has their independence to declare independence. But of course, they have this very huge island. They have very high ambitions about what kind of society. They, they want to be a welfare s- state. Uh, so they need quite some resources to, to keep that running. Uh, and they didn't strike oil in, in time before the the green transition kicked in. So it's really a difficult uh, situation for them to, to be able to finance their welfare state, but also to man it. Uh, that um, the level of education in Greenland is, is, is rapidly rising, but it's still uh, in need of a lot of, of skilled and academic mm. uh, labor from outside. So how did Denmark uh, end up in this relationship with Greenland? Are we going back to the Viking times? Formally, yes. Uh, in the sense that uh, the the Vikings that uh, visited Greenland well a, th- a thousand years ago and, and lived there for for centuries, uh, they were, I think, s- the guy who went there was, was actually uh, Fredløs in Danish. He, he was thrown out by the king. So, but in principle, they were banished. Uh, yeah, banished. Yeah, but but they were uh, Danish subjects, basically coming from Iceland, which is coming from Norway. At some point, uh, Norway cut loose from. From uh, from Denmark and the great powers decided oh, yeah, that after the Danes sided with Napoleon yeah, and lost the bad move, <laughs> but but the great powers decided that it was better to have Greenland and Iceland and and Faroe stay with uh, with Denmark okay. so that that we wouldn't have one big uh, superpower controlling all of the North Atlantic and then Greenland ended up with Denmark but in the meantime of course the Vikings had disappeared and Inuit had uh, immigrated into the island uh, so. At some point, they they must have been quite surprised when, you know, there there was a Norwegian uh, vicar Hans Eide who went back to christen the the Vikings or the Norse. Who they they lost contact and disappeared. He didn't find the Vikings. He found Inuit and told him, "You are Danish subjects. You're living on on, on Danish territory." And I, I guess they would be have been probably oh, wow. quite surprised at that time to to get that information. But <laughs> let, that. Let me, yeah. I just want to understand this right. Are you saying that the um, Inuit people of Greenland weren't there when the Vikings landed? There has been a consec- – I'm not an expert on, on, on this prehistory, but, but yeah. there's been a, a consecution of immigrations of, of Inuit uh, or indigenous peoples into Greenland. Then conditions have harshened or they have, and they died out. And between one of those uh, immigrations – 
there was the, the Norse of Viking immigration coming from south, and, and, and they met, and then the, the Vikings uh, disappeared. And, and when the Danish colonizers came back a couple of hundred years later, only the Inuit were, were there. So, oh, Wow, that's, that's fascinating. I never knew that. I never knew that either. Now we're in this position, though, where Greenland and Denmark have had this relationship for mm. many, many, many hundreds, thousand mm. years, really. Yeah. Over a thousand years, right? We just had the tricentenary last year for uh, for the kind of colonization that that worked, you might say. Yeah. So yeah, three hundred years. Um, and now a lot of things are happening in the world: climate change, and mm. um, yeah, this kind of post-COVID power grab that's going mm. on in the world, and all these kind of things. Mm. Um, could we call this kind of the the Cold War for Greenland? I don't know. I, I think there's been a lot of headlines putting Greenland in the center of uh, of geopolitics, and and some of them are a bit too hyped. On the one hand, as as I mentioned before, that Greenland is very important for one purpose for the U.S., which is ballistic defense against ballistic missiles. That's really, and but they only need basically a radar in in the north of Greenland in in Thule for that. So and and that's really important. Both. In terms of defense against Russian and Chinese ballistic missiles, basically anything coming in from from the Eurasian continent would have to go over the North Pole, and, and Thule is very close to the North Pole. So that's step one, and and that's really close to non non negotiable for for the U.S. Then there's the second thing that we don't really like anyone else to have a foothold on the Western Hemisphere, like basically the Monroe Doctrine, main mostly discussed in the Caribbean, that, that we don't want Germans uh, having little islands in the Caribbean or Russians on, in Cuba. But in, in American strategic thinking, it, it works for Greenland as well. We don't want Chinese to have too much infrastructure there. We don't like them to build airports and have maybe a mining uh, colony with a lot of Chinese workers. That's not really comfortable for us. So that's the second thing. There's the ballistic missiles. Then there's the Monroe Doctrine. And then there's the third thing, which is there are all these resources quite well documented, but not really uh, extracted yet. That'll be easier uh, with the Great Thaw when ice disappears from sea, from from and permafrost and everything. Mm -hmm. So it'll be more accessible. And we don't like Chinese or other states to, to grab that. But in principle, that's the same thing as the same conflict as in Africa or, or in anywhere else, right? Uh, so it's, it's another, it's, it's a more general phenomenon. We don't... But we, isn't we're it the Danish to, yeah. state that has the principal uh, country that's in charge of Greenland have rights to these resources together with the Greenlandic people? Actually, that, that was... The, the Greenlanders, they were, if we scroll back a bit, they were formally decolonized just after the Second World War by being integrated in Denmark. Greenland's just another part of Denmark. Everybody has equal rights. But of course, that didn't really work for the Greenlanders. So in in 79, Greenland got an autonomy arrangement. And the, the main uh, conflict at that point between Denmark and Greenland was exactly subsoil resources, who should be in, in control okay. of those. Okay. And it ended up with a weird compromise saying that we should decide that together. No one can dig without we agree and we will share the profits in a weird mathematical formula. And then in 2009, the upgraded autonomy arrangement actually put jurisdiction over subsoil resources into Greenland. So now, if uh, anyone digs, Greenland profits. They decide and they profit. 
There's also and it has to be in a, in a political arrangement with Greenland. Yeah. To be able to dig yeah. for these new resources. Yeah. Regardless of if it's Denmark or the United States or yeah. China. Or China. The only footnote to that is they were had a project which involved uranium and there's a huge international agreement system on how who can who can we export uranium to yeah. and and uh, and Greenland Denmark Greenland accepted that Denmark would have to sign on off on, on any exports because Denmark is the, the foreign policy okay. subject here. Earlier we talked about a couple of things. There's lots of fascinating stuff here. We talked about the fact that Greenland essentially has its permission slip to become independent. Hmm. And then you said, well, but but Greenland still needs access to the, a lot of the Danish resources in order to make sure mm-hmm. that it has a well-functioning welfare state. And there were many other reasons, right? Infrastructure and so on and so forth. However, am I wrong in, 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 in assuming they're sitting on a gold mine? I mean, that place is full of minerals and who knows what mm-hmm. under the ice. At what point does Greenland say – we're going to be independent and we're going to go with the Chinese or the Russians or the Americans or the Saudis or whoever it is that comes with the best bid. That, that was the feeling when in 2009 when Greenland got jurisdiction over the subsoil resources. It, the, the, the feeling was that now we just need someone to come in and invest. They looked around, okay, the Americans didn't come, the Canadians didn't come, so probably the Chinese would come and help us dig these resources out. But first of all, global resource prices plummeted with the financial crisis uh, and the Chinese didn't really come. It didn't materialize. And then some of my colleagues at the University of Copenhagen and the University of Greenland sat down and did the math and they found out that, okay, we would actually need anywhere between 10 and 20 large-scale mines operating at the same time to have the revenue that would make the Danish block grant uh, superfluous. So it's, it's not just hitting gold, it's hitting gold and uranium and Rare earth and, and a lot of stuff at the same time. The only thing that you could have imagined, kind of a one-shot uh, bonus, would be hitting an immense amount of oil. Yeah. But now all the uh, even the the blackest of the oil companies are tr- going back from from the Arctic. But uh, what would be? I mean, I, I can't. When you describe the relationship, there wouldn't be an incentive yet for full independence. Uh, while that process is taking place, it would be first when they generate the re- necessary revenue. That w- I, I, I wouldn't. I don't. I don't see the. Yeah, maybe you could walk us through what, what the actual value add would be. There, there are three positions in Greenlandic politics. Uh, if you they and both in the parliament, parliament and political parties in parliament, but also in in the in, in opinion polls, okay. basically two thirds of the population say we want to be independent. Two thirds of the population also say. When it doesn't cost on the on the revenue on, okay. on the, Condi- on, on conditional the independence, yeah. Whenever we have the economy yeah. and it doesn't cost on welfare, we'll be independent. Then there is and why there's is a that? marginal. Why, why is that? What does that full independence provide? I think it's a historically. I think uh, they, uh, the the Greenlandic political identity was formed uh, with inspiration in, in in Copenhagen. Basically, if you look at the Nordic states, the Norwegians sent their brightest. Uh, young people to Copenhagen and learned how to be a people in the world. It is to have a quite culturally homogeneous nation state. The Icelanders learned the same thing. The Faroese, the, the Greenlanders. So they has have, they basically have this idea that the real, the best way to be a people in the world is to be culturally homogeneous, have your own state. So that's the that's the impetus. But again, they want to not just any state; they want a welfare state, right? And that makes it more difficult. 
but based, there are based there on are, the Danish model. That uh, Scandinavian would be the preferred okay. label, right? Because we don't want to copy the Danes, but but we the Nordic, <laughs> Nordic model. Okay. Yeah, but, but there is the the separate marginal position in Greenlandic politics that says, okay, we cannot wait to be economically until we are economically uh, sustainable to be independent because the reason why we are not economically sustainable is that the Danes are in the way. We need ah. to be independent and then we will unleash a lot of energies mm-hmm. uh, okay. because we were we are proud and we will be decoupled from the Danish system. That's kind of the, the Brexit mentality in yeah. a way. Yeah. And in all this kind of puzzle, you know, another question comes to mind is how important is Greenland for Danish prominence in the world, yeah. right? Danish yeah. is a NATO partner. We often hear this yeah. Denmark punches above its weight. Yeah. And um, you know, Denmark's always mentioned as, as a as a as a very important NATO partner. Mm. It's a country of five million people with like what fifteen fighter jets. Yeah. Like it's less than a squadron on an aircraft carrier yeah. from the United yeah. States, right? Yeah. So like what would that mean for the Danish prominence and the Danish position in a NATO mm. situation or or just in general in the world? Yeah. There are I have good colleagues who tell a credible story of uh, the, the immediate post-World War II wars, saying that Denmark was really co- only accepted as an allied country. You know, we had this co- collaborative relation with the with the Germans when they were here. We we're really just accepted because the U.S. would like to have Greenland as part of the uh, the equation. Also, we had the, the belts, uh, so the Russians would... would be nice to control when they when they got out of the Baltic Sea, but but the main thing was Greenland. That's not the story as it's been told in in the Danish public. It's very easy to tell a story about what Denmark is that just forgets uh, Greenland and and having colonies and stuff like that, which mm-hmm. is basically just this homogeneous little nation state here. So, but I think there's been a gradual reevaluation of that relation in the last decade or so, with all the attention given to the Arctic in general. It's been uh, wi- accepted in a wider Danish public, but also by uh, publicly uh, by by a lot of Danish, some Danish politicians at least, that this is actually a two-way relation. With, it's not just us benevolently giving Greenland all this, uh, this money and taking care of their development for them. Uh, it's actually also something that we get something out of. We, we, we get U.S. attention basically in a different way. What? When we can facilitate this, so this either. this would this would be something that would be a bit of a blow to Denmark. Should 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 Greenland say, "Hey, we want to go full independent now. We want to become our own sovereign nation state." There's an anecdote that can uh, that can uh, illustrate this. In the in the fifties, uh, you know, all these um, colonial empires were falling apart. Uh, Netherlands was trying to make some kind of new constitution that would keep Indonesia on board because if we can't keep Indonesia uh, on board, we'll just be another Denmark. But recently I heard the other way around that if we lose Greenland, Denmark will just be another Netherlands, right? And right. another middle-sized European mm. country. Mm. Right. Yeah. Now, for all of our uh, listeners that uh, have ever been to Denmark around New Year's, the Queen gives a speech, and she's always talking about yeah. the relationship in Greenland. What 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 is that? And uh, maybe you could say a couple of words about the Queen's relationship to Den- to Greenland. 
I think it's difficult for me because I I, I haven't studied uh, kind of the, the royals in, in in detail. But I think she's a she's a symbol of uh, not just the Danish nation, but the Danish state uh, in a different way. And and she uh, has been quite um, she's she's been attentive to these margins, right? That she takes special care of the Danish minority in Germany, uh, and and she she remembers to go there to Greenland to go to Faroe Islands and and even dons uh, this very complicated Greenlandic national uh, costume uh, and I don't know how much of it from the beginning has been kind of a conscious public relations uh, attempt towards the Greenlanders but but it worked in the sense that the, that when I some Greenlanders have a kind of a very personal relation to the queen like mm. we We some of some Danes read glossy magazines with pictures of of, uh, of the Queen and her family, mm-hmm. but in Greenland, it's it's such a small community. Then she's been there. She's some, yeah, most 50, of the 50, actually, actually yeah, said I mean, hello. You can shake, shake hands. Yeah. Them, right? So so in a sense, it's 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 a more intimate relation than in Denmark. But really, someone should do a detailed psychological study of of that because it's it's really complicated in relation to the general willingness to kind of get rid of Denmark. But we'd like to keep the queen. So it's interesting because yeah. it it feels very authentic. Yeah, the the love the queen has for this this yeah. uh, this land. Um, so if it is a just a PR move, pretty damn convincing. Before you spoke about the Monroe Doctrine, mm-hmm. a lot of some of our listeners may not know exactly what the mm-hmm. Monroe Doctrine is. It's a extremely important thing in international relations to this day. Yeah. Monroe was a long time ago, right? But can you explain what what is the Monroe Doctrine? It was basically, yeah, well, a little century after uh, the establishment of the United States, uh, a U.S. Uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs or State Secretary formulated this idea that, okay, we need to stay safe and the most threatening thing to us Are all these conflicts they have over in over in Europe? Uh, we don't want yeah, any the Napoleonic more. wars were happening. Yeah. yeah, that was one part of it. The other part was that we we're still in this colonial era where where you 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 grappled land where you can take it from from other states and and there were really no white spots left. And the, the, it was just a message basically for Europe saying we won't accept that you take your trouble over here. If anyone of you want to leave one of your colonies. We're happy to take it over. You won't leave it to one of the other European powers. So it's basically a statement that says that in the Western Hemisphere, we'll take care of stuff. Please keep out. Okay, stay off, stay off yeah. the side of the board. And, and that applies. Uh, and as I understand, to, it to actually Greenland goes a step well. further and says that if mm-hmm. a if a foreign nation comes into the Western Hemisphere and yeah. tries to establish itself, yeah. it will be declared an act of war on the United States, or yeah. it will be at least considered such. Yeah, yeah. that's why. Right. I mean, the Cuban Missile Crisis wasn't that, but it was close to kind of right. what we're indicating yeah. here, right? Some elements or versions of it has been accepted by some of the other American states at, at different points that they were accepted the U.S. role of as a as a police officer on the, on the western and, and it is it is technically part of it is part of north america greenland but politically european yeah. so it's this kind of yeah. it's it's it's, it's, it's hybrid really, it's it a is hybrid. it is a hybrid and, and you know also the next question is, yeah. is is how far can we go because the chinese are building a big airport in greenland now they wanted to they offered to do that but but they weren't allowed by some pretty intricate maneuvers right there's been a series of specific projects that Chinese uh, companies or universities or 
banks, whatever, were interested in, in being part of. And, and most of them have been avoided. Most of them have been avoided without any kind of, without it was really clear how they were. And, and I think the general feeling was that there was a message coming from Washington and then some Danish authority made it not happen. And, and with the, I think the, the airports is probably the most uh, public one of those in the sense that it took the Danish, the, the Greenlanders had offered this uh, construction and, and invited among four other countries, uh, companies, a Chinese company to, to bid on it. But then the, the Danish uh, prime minister took a briefcase with a lot of money and flew to Nuuk and said, <laughs> if you allow us to be part of this, we'll give you a lot of money, but then we'll have to kind of sort out who, who of these, which of these companies should be allowed. Is there, a, is, there a, is there an agreement in place where Denmark or the United States has the negotiating right to match any deal or the first uh, – a negotiating preference? No, it's 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 not formalized. It's for, the formal thing in is practice. that that uh, Denmark insists that if it's foreign security and particular yeah, particularly security politics, we have the veto right. But they don't want to use well, it's it. All, it's all security. But the, <laughs> like the problem everything. is, if they use that veto right, yeah. then it'll just push Greenland to closer to to independence, right? Because now you are proving that yeah. you are still this evil colonizer that we are claim that you are. So Denmark doesn't want to do that. Uh, For you can really see, I can really see the catch-22 here, yeah, right? Yeah. Between the economic and yeah. political interests. And, yeah. yeah. And, and the, the latest is that we have this, you know, the Americans have been pushing to, to keep Huawei and, and, and other countries out of our electronic infrastructure. And the EU version of this is to have legislation that demands that you screen uh, foreign investments in critical infrastructure. Denmark is making such a law in principle, if we claim this is security, Denmark could just say that this law also applies to Greenland and the Faroe Islands. But they ask the Greenlanders and, and the Faroe Islands, and they say, no, we don't want that because then we'll just roll back all the autonomy that we have. So the Danish reaction has been by the prime minister, okay, we make a committee in which uh, the Greenlandic, the Faroes, and the Danish prime ministers meet every half year or so to discuss security matters. So instead of, of making a formal decision to to undermine Greenlandic and Faroese autonomy, we we discuss it and we agree that we discuss this in this closed room and maybe we'll find a solution. There are two two members of parliament that are mm. from Greenland, correct? Yeah. In the yeah. Danish parliament. Yeah. What 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 is that role beside because two out of how many yeah, two out of uh, one hundred and seventy-nine. Two out of one seventy-nine. Yeah. Okay. So, what what influence does that have? I guess. What was? It's it's actually it's a, a very a very weird position, and it's becoming weirder and weirder in the sense that when originally those two mandates were introduced in nineteen fifty-three, most legislation concerning Greenland was made in the Danish Parliament because there was no autonomy. So it was just basically a matter of having representation in relation to the the rules made. Yeah, yeah. But now yeah. that that Danish competence covering Greenland has been emptied out, most decisions about what's going on in Greenland is taken in the Greenlandic Parliament. So uh, the the Greenlandic uh, members of the Danish Parliament mainly the, they just sit around waiting for something Greenlandic to come up. Are they de facto diplomats or ambassadors? Or it's, what, it's what is very, actually happening? Very diff different ways of handling that role. Uh, and it gets even more difficult because 
when there is coming something up with a Greenlandic issue, then the Danish government will talk to the Greenlandic government to to make the the the, the decisions and agreements. And then again, what is the role then for for this for these two Greenlandic men or women? Yeah, and they they I think they use their position to peek into secret stuff that to, to kind of control that Greenland gets all the. Uh, information on security politics that they are supposed to have. That's one thing they do. Uh, and the other thing they do is, is kind of traditional pork barrel politics. They try to get little grants for this and that uh, specific project yeah. on top of the, yeah. the the block grant. And then there is, of course, still criminal affairs uh, are, are still under Danish legislation. So there is substance as well. The police in Greenland operates under a Danish law and the, the prisons too. And, and there is, you mentioned there in passing too, this block grant, right? Yeah. What are we talking about here in terms of scale? Because obviously a block grant is coming from somewhere and costs something. Yeah. I I, I don't re- remember the exact sum. I think it's three and a half billion Danish kronen. That would be half, half a billion euros or something like that. Annually. Annually, yeah. Mm. Uh, and I think uh, it's a, Ah, I don't. I'm not good at numbers, but it's it's a substantial uh, part of the Greenlandic public budget that uh, that would have to be come from somewhere. It's a third or something like that, right? Green, Greenlandic economy basically comes from the the block grant, the the uh, f- from exporting shrimps, shrimp, yeah, and and from uh, selling uh, fish quotas to the EU. That's basically the public budget, and, and then of course taxes. How does the how do the next ten years look for Greenland? If there's like, you know, two or three things you think that are really going to form the Greenlandic society over the next, yeah, I don't know, ten, twenty, thirty I mean, years. What what are those? I, I like thirty years much better than ten because right, let's, go, let's go thirty. Yeah. <laughs> there's such yeah. a a lot of there's a lot of game changes involved that will probably happen at some time. It's very difficult to say whether it it happens in 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 two, five, or twenty years. You know, right now there's a Uh, commission in Greenland working on um, writing up a, a separate Greenlandic constitution. My guess is that when that's finished, should be finished this year, but should be finished last year also. But when it's finished, then there'll be a public debate, and then the, the Greenlandic politicians will uh, ask Danes for for a negotiation that we will now we want to get out of the Danish constitution, have our own, formally declare ourselves in, self independence. But then immediately we'll like to make a treaty with you that basically keeps things as they are. So you can still have some role in, in foreign security politics. We'd still need some some subsidies and, and and stuff like that. But then we will formally be independent. That mm. could happen within 10 years. In the longer run, and what would more significantly change the Greenlandic society would probably be, uh, there has been taken a decision that we should not learn Danish as, as the first foreign language, we should actually have English instead, like uh, the, the Icelanders did 30 or 40 years ago. And that would, I think, make a more of a substantial cha- uh, change to the Greenlandic society in the long run, that they will uh, substantially be able to hook up with uh, globalization in a more direct way than having to go through Copenhagen all the time. Why, why hasn't that been done yet? That seems like the the easiest internal decision to make is that as you, you say, start, it's you start a doing very easy decision to make, and I think it's been made two or three times. But you need someone to teach English to be able to learn English, right? So, so it's basically fifty well, thousand. I mean, you could have a nationwide, you know, 
Yeah. I'm coming from the educational sector. You could do nationwide bilingual English yeah. in Greenlandic, yeah. implement that. No problem. It, it hasn't scale? worked yet, but now the part of this American uh, offensive in, in Greenland with this new consulate trying to to hook uh, hook make connections directly with between Greenland and, and the US is actually to have the American Peace Corps send uh, teachers, English teachers, to to Greenland might make a difference. Okay, this is actually interesting. I'm really fascinated by this. I'll just round this segment off uh, by saying at the top of the program, uh, I gave this trivia question, and that was, you know, what's the what's the largest land country in Europe, yeah. right? Yeah. You had another version of that little story. Yeah, it's uh, a decade ago, the, the Danish prime minister asked one of his diplomats to kind of do a review of, of the Danish foreign policy strategy. And one of the things he found out was we should upgrade the Arctic. It should be one of the main pillars of the Danish uh, foreign policy because we are the twelfth largest uh, nation on 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 the on the globe. And then one of the Greenlandic politicians tersely mentioned and noted that well, we would be that even without Denmark. So it kind of <laughs> changes the perspective. We usually look at Greenland from south, but uh, the world looks quite a lot different if you look at it from from Washington or if you look at it from. From Greenland, and over the next thirty to fifty years, that's probably what's going to be happening more and more. I, I, I'm pretty sure that at some point, Greenland will be formally independent. The interesting thing is, what will that independence mean in practical terms? How much are Greenland will Greenlanders substantially be able to man their own welfare state, take decisions, uh, and and finance uh, what they want? Uh, fascinating. Well, I think uh, on that note, why don't we take a Short break, and we'll come up and we'll wrap up the podcast today with uh, a couple of lessons to and from Denmark. Studying for an executive MBA at Henley Business School in Denmark is an intense and rewarding experience. If you want to achieve the best possible outcomes in business and in life, Henley can give you the skills and knowledge you need through the Henley MBA. For more information, visit henley.dk. All right, we are back. Ulrich, I mentioned before the break that uh, we wanted to talk about a lesson to and from Denmark. Um, I want to amend that statement. I think it would be more appropriate today in the spirit of this podcast to have a lesson from Greenland yeah. <laughs> instead. Uh, so why don't, why don't we talk about that? What, what can Greenland teach the world? And what, can we, and what can Greenland still learn? I, th there's a lot of good answers to that question, but I, if I stay within what I know know about, which are these political and relations, I think the way Greenlanders have been doing constitutional jiu-jitsu or over the last uh, decades, really using whatever formal position they have and using the the, the problems put upon them by by the outside world the US military climate change etc to to advance their own voice in uh, in uh, in international relations i think that's really fascinating and it takes a, lo a lot of pragmatism uh, which uh, i think a lot of uh, a lot of people could could learn from it's like the old saying when life gives you lemons make lemonade yeah only uh, on in this case under very frozen conditions. Yeah, make frozen frozen yeah. lemonade popsicles. It yeah. gives you shrimp. Yeah, yeah. make right. a shrimp cocktail. Yeah, yeah. So they're so they're an industrious people and do a, make a lot of what of what they what they have with what they get. I think some of the main stories 
the world knows about Inuit and Greenlanders is that they are victims of uh, climate change and Greenlanders are victims of Danish colonization. And that's true. But I think uh, it's it's very important to, to notice and, and learn from how even those victim positions can be used for for something uh, something really creative uh, and 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 beneficial in the long run both for greenland and, and in a ways also for the rest of the world mm-hmm. what does greenland still need to learn from the world or what can what can greenland learn from the world that's that's really not for me as a middle-aged white dane to to, <laughs> to 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 judge that because i think it's really one of the problem of the danish greenlandic relation is that greenlanders have been meeting Generations after generations of uh, of Danes fresh off the exam tables, telling them how to to do uh, do their society and, and, and how to strategize. Uh, so I I emphatically refrain from answering that question. Yeah, that's very fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, uh, Ulrich, it's been uh, it's been a fascinating discussion, and uh, and I think uh, we could probably go on and on about this uh, this really enigmatic. Uh, Uh, territory of Greenland. Um, but I, I want to wrap up the podcast today with maybe you could tell our audience uh, one one Danish book or one book uh, that uh, is in English that yeah. could maybe yeah. elaborate or give context to some of the things we've talked about today. Yeah, and of course, I, I have to recommend a Greenlandic book, and 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 the obvious choice which anyone should should basically read is uh, you know there's a green, young Greenlandic author Nivia Corneliusen who just got the the Nordic the, the literature prize of the Nordic uh, Council of Ministers. Uh, she wrote a very fine novel on uh, called The Valley of Flowers, but actually I think you should read the one before her first, which is uh, I think in, in Danish it's called Homo Sapien, but I. Th- think it's had a, it has a different title in english okay. but it's translated it's very good for the danish readers they should uh, find one of uh, an, an older member of the same family ole corneliusen uh, who said he writes novels but he writes novels not of traditional inuit uh, romantic stories he writes about like nivia corneliusen about the the greenlandic modern postmodern society Uh, and the dark sides of Greenland. Also. And, and the name of that book in Danish? Uh, Ole Corneliusen's my favorite uh, collection of of, uh, of short stories is The Anadur, the other animal. The uh, Anadur. Uh, that was animal. I was reading that when I first visited Greenland. I read it on the plane, and that really prepared me for. Okay. What I was <laughs> uh, bon- bonus question here before we uh, say thank you for today. Mm. Are there any documentaries or films that uh, could also be of interest? Oh, there are so many <laughs> films and documentaries. Uh, Kenneth Sorrento uh, made a, a Danish documentary, uh, made a film last year where he interviewed young Greenlanders about why they choose to have these traditional Inuit tattoos, how, why they want independence or why they don't want mm. independence. That's mm. very, that's a very good uh, introduction. Okay, the millennials and Gen Z, uh, yeah. what their opinion? Yeah. Fascinating. What's that called? I, I forgot the but, title. But who is the... Kenneth Sorrento. Kenneth Sorrento. Yeah. yeah. Ulrich, uh, thanks so much for coming by today. Uh, really fascinating. And I, I don't think this is the, the the last word on Greenland. I think uh, I think this is something we're going to talk about again. I have a feeling. I, What do you think, Brian? I think so, too. I think we may one day be doing a Global Greenland podcast, too. I think so, that would be fascinating. That would be great. Thanks, Ulrich. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Yeah. It's a pleasure. Take care. Are you getting the most out of your time in Denmark? Pick up the printed copy of the English-language newspaper Copenhagen Post today to access relevant news and event information 
guaranteed to enhance your working and family life.